devotional time with the Lord, but you still don't feel confident when it comes to prayer. Maybe you tried this beginning of this year, you went a few days, went going pretty strong, and then after a few days, maybe weeks, all your prayers started to sound the same, and you began to feel discouraged, and it kind of fell off. If any of these describes you, don't be discouraged, because God has given us several examples and instructions in His Word to help us to pray. My prayer this morning is that He'll encourage us, He'll give us confidence in how we pray. And as we start a new prayer meeting soon, it's a good time to look at the Bible and ask how we should pray, specifically for the church. Got your Bibles with you? Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. If you're in using the Pew Bible this morning, if you start from the back, go forward. Page 150, you'll be there. Between uh, Galatians and Philippians. I'm just giving you time so you can get there if you're not there yet. Ephesians chapter 1, be in verse 15. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Amen. I believe the Lord wants to use this text to show us how to pray for the church. We'll see in Paul's prayer for these believers in Ephesus a model for us today. As we study these verses, we first have to see them in the context of the letter. Paul has just finished one of the most beautiful and encouraging expositions in verses 3 through 14, some of which we read this morning, recounting the blessings these believers now have in Christ. Things like their position as children of God, adopted by Him, their redemption in the blood of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of their sins, an incredible inheritance that is theirs and sealed by the promised Holy Spirit in them. I wish that we could go through each of these. If you were in our youth Sunday school class, you would have. Um, but that would be a whole sermon or maybe even more. Paul continues in verses 15 to 23 to tell these believers how he is praying for them in light of these spiritual blessings in Christ. First we see it's the church Paul is praying for, giving us an example to pray for the church. Verses 15 and 16, he says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. 
Paul has heard of the faith of these believers in the city of Ephesus and their love for all believers. It's been about five years since Paul was in Ephesus, so you can imagine his joy when he hears of their continued faith despite being in a hostile environment. The last time that he was there, he and his companions faced pretty harsh opposition from both the Jewish and the Gentile communities. In Acts chapter 19, if you want to go there, Acts 19 will be reading some now and then a little bit later in this sermon. Acts 19, beginning in verse 8, Paul's in Ephesus. He says, And he, that is Paul, entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Luke, the author of Acts, goes on to describe how many Gentiles came to believe in the gospel after Paul's preaching. In the midst of this outpouring of God's Spirit, there was a great riot in the city among the worshipers of the Greek god Artemis. These rioters took offense at Paul's preaching and the many conversions that were taking place, which, incidentally, was hurting their idol-making business. During the riot, they even grabbed two of Paul's companions in an attempt to stop them from preaching the gospel. Needless to say, this was not a safe place to be if you were a Christian. This is where the church Paul is praying for lived and worshipped their Lord Jesus. Knowing this, you can understand why Paul would be so thankful for them. Despite living in this dangerous city with the temptation to worship other gods, they have held on to their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is also thankful to hear of their love for all the saints. The word saints here just means believers, those who have been sanctified and made holy by their faith in Jesus Christ. This church loves one another and evidently has shown love even for believers all across the world. Paul knows that their faith and love means that God was powerfully at work in these people's lives when he was there and that God has continued to work in their lives while he's been away. One example of this for us as a church would be a missionary family that we've been praying for for a long time who's gone out from our church, the Tanners, who are in Hong Kong. Like Paul, we ought to pray continually for Carol and Butch and thankfulness for their faithfulness to the gospel and their love for the believers across the world. I think it's interesting, I've never met Butch or Carol. I, I wasn't here whenever he was here. There's a good chance that a lot of you weren't even here when Butch was here. Um, but it's amazing that we are able to pray for them in faith, knowing that we have a shared faith and a shared love for all believers. Next, verse 16 tells us how Paul prays for the church in his daily life, giving us an example of how we ought to pray in our lives. After saying who his prayer is for, Paul says that he is, does not cease giving thanks for them while making mention of them in his prayers. Another way to put this is whenever Paul prays, 
he remembers to give thanks and to pray for this church. This is a common practice that we see Paul doing throughout other letters that he's written. One example of this, it gives a little more detail, comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. It says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Paul had a practice of praying in his daily life. Like a lot of you, he probably got up early, got in his favorite chair maybe or desk, studied some texts from scripture, and then spent time in prayer. The concept of not ceasing to pray makes it sound like Paul would be in an attitude of prayer throughout the whole day, always ready to give thanks to God for things. Then at the end of the day, he probably sat down again, spent more time in scripture and in concentrated prayer to God. Paul made it a disciplined habit to pray in his life. And when he did pray, he made it a priority to pray for this church. Paul's practice gives us a model and an example of how we ought to pray in our own lives. Like Paul, we ought to make prayer a habit in our lives. Similar to how we brush our teeth or drink a cup of coffee in the morning, prayer ought to be a part of our daily routine in our life. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning verse 16, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Dr. Don Whitney, in his book on spiritual disciplines, describes praying without ceasing as like a conversation on the phone. He says this, You might think of praying without ceasing as communicating with God on one line while also taking calls on another. Even while you are talking on the other line, you never lose your awareness of the need to return your attention to the Lord. So praying without ceasing means you never really stop conversing with God. You simply have frequent interruptions. As a church family, we make it a habit to pray whenever we meet together. I was telling you, I think we prayed at least three times this morning together. Whether it be Sunday morning or evening, game nights or picnics, we're blessed to have such a culture of praying together. We even have an entire meeting dedicated to just prayer. That's pretty rare in church. I don't know if you guys know that. May we as a body and individually make prayer, even prayer for the church, a habit in our lives. In the rest of our text this morning, verses 17 through 21, Paul tells them who he is praying to and what he is praying for them. He tells them who he's praying to and what he's praying for them. Verse 17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Him. Paul makes it clear who this prayer is to. He's praying to God, the Father, the first person of the triune God, who is full of glory and power. We sang of it this morning. The first title he mentions is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ which is very similar to one that he gives in verse 3, before he lists out the spiritual blessings we have received in Jesus Christ. 
Paul knows that it's only through Jesus that we receive any of the blessings of the salvation of God. He then calls God the Father of glory. This is saying that God is the source of all glory and power, able to answer Paul's petitions for the church. Paul knew who he was praying to, and he relied on him to do what he was asking. In the second half of verse 17, Paul gives his main request of God, that he would give to these believers a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. There's only one spirit who can give wisdom and reveal knowledge of God, and that's the spirit of God himself. Earlier in verses 13 and 14, Paul reminded these believers that they had already received the Holy Spirit when they believed in the gospel. He's praying now that this same spirit would impart wisdom and revelation to them to know God better. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul explains in more detail the nature of this spiritual insight and wisdom. If you want to turn with me there, 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. We'll also have it on the screen. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Let's jump down to verse 10. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Paul prays that the Spirit of God would reveal even more of God's saving plan to the believers in Ephesus. And in knowing more about this plan, they will know God more personally and intimately. It's the same for relationships between other people, right? How do we know one another more personally and intimately? If I just lived with my wife and never talked with her or learned anything else about her, Um, our relationship would probably suffer, right? To grow in intimacy, we have to spend time with each other, talk with each other, learn more about each other, have a date night. In the same way, as we learn more about God and His Word, and specifically what He has done in saving us, we will come to know Him more personally. Paul's main request to God for this church ought to be our main request to God for our church. On our prayer sheets that we distribute for prayer meeting, there's a reason why the first thing on the list is a prayer for the outpouring of God's Spirit. Without God, by His Spirit, revealing Himself to us, teaching us about Himself, we can do nothing. Fortunately, Paul doesn't just leave it at that in verses 18 and 19, he makes his prayer more specific by asking God to reveal to these believers three things about their relationship with God. First, he prays that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened to know 
what is the hope of his calling. This calling isn't the personal calling someone may have to a vocation or a gifting, but it's God's calling in salvation. Paul wants his church to know and rest in the hope of all that is theirs in Christ. In chapter 2, verse 12 of this letter, Paul describes these believers before their conversions as having no hope and without God in the world. These people had no chance on their own. But by the grace of God, they were called by the preaching of His Word, and they now have hope. They can rest in the fact that they have been chosen by God before the foundation of the world. They can know that they have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and their sins have now been forgiven. And they have hope that in the future they will spend eternity with their Savior, Jesus, with renewed bodies in a renewed world. What a hope, amen? Paul prays that these believers would more clearly see the hope they have in Jesus and live in light of it. And this is something we ought to pray for one another, right? We can pray that the Spirit of God would reveal more of this hope to the person sitting next to us, fellow believers we work with, and believers we know who live in a different country. If you don't know Jesus this morning and have not put your faith in Him, know that God is calling you even right now. He is calling you to put your hope and your faith in His Son who came as a baby in a manger, lived a perfect life, died on the cross and rose from the grave to make a way for the forgiveness of your sins. If you put your faith and hope in Jesus, you will no longer be without hope and without God in this world. Don't leave here without this hope. Second, Paul prays in verse 18 that the Spirit of God would open the eyes of the hearts of these believers to know what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Earlier in the letter, in verses 13 and 14, again, Paul talked about the inheritance these believers have obtained through the work of Christ. Once they believed in the gospel of Christ, they were sealed with the Holy Spirit as a kind of down payment or first installment of their future inheritance in heaven. The Holy Spirit in them is just the beginning or taste of what eternity with God will be like. Paul is praying that the church in Ephesus will realize how glorious and rich this inheritance is that they are part of. God has chosen them, has given them a rich inheritance in Him. Instead of death, and eternal punishment away from God. They have eternal life in close communion with God, their Creator, now and forever. It's sort of like a homeless man who's been without a job or a place to sleep for several years. He's used to sleeping under bridges and in alleyways, begging for food and money. And then one day, a man walks up to him who he's never met, and hands him a letter. In the letter he reads that his father, whom he had never met, has passed away and has left him his fortune. The man goes from being as low as someone can possibly be to having nothing, to having all the riches he could ever imagine. In a similar and a greater way, we were dead and poor, 
But now we've been made alive and rich by God's grace. Like Paul, we can pray that we, as a church, will fully realize the inheritance we have in Christ. For our brothers and sisters who struggle to make ends meet, we ought to help them in every way that we can. But we should also pray that they would understand and treasure the rich inheritance they have to look forward to in heaven. On the other hand, for those who are wealthy now, we ought to pray that they realize the fleetingness of the riches on this earth and put their hope in the future inheritance that God will give them and not in this world. Lastly, Paul prays, verse 19, that the Spirit of God would open the eyes of the hearts of these believers to know what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. Paul prays that these believers would better understand the great power of God they have access to as His children. As you read it, you can kind of see Paul is piling up words to describe the great and awesome power that God has for His people. This would have been especially encouraging to these believers in Ephesus who were confronted with the worship of other gods and the use of magic in their city. In fact, in many of those who believed in the gospel when Paul was preaching in Ephesus once practiced this dark magic. If you want to turn back there in Acts chapter 19, we'll be in verse 18. Luke tells us, Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practice magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. They counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. The Ephesian believers knew the reality of evil spiritual forces at work in the unseen world. It surrounded them in their culture and in the practices of the world around them. So Paul prays that the Spirit would help them to know the power that God has over these evil demonic forces. To help explain this, Paul gives the ultimate demonstration of God's power in all of history. Let's read it again, verses 19 to 21. And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ, when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Amen. The resurrection the exaltation of Jesus is the decisive display of the power of God. The body of Jesus that was dead for three days was raised from the grave and given new life. Not only that, but He was lifted physically from the earth and He is now seated at the right hand of God. And God has given Him power and authority over all creation and over all the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Jesus is Lord. He has all power and all might. And this same power is available to those who believe in Him. Paul wants to make this point clear to the Ephesian church. 
He prays that they would fully grasp the truth of this and live trusting in their all-powerful God. We too often forget that we worship this same all-powerful God, that we have the same access to the power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave. Our God can heal cancer. He can fix broken homes. He can give life to a dead body. We need to know this. We need to pray for our church that the Spirit of God would show us the power of God. And I think this helps us to pray bold prayers in expectation that God will answer them. That's why we lay hands on the sick and pray that God would heal. That's why we pray that God would help us, even this year, to help us pay off our building debt. And there's only a few more days left in this year. But 2019 ends. Do you know what our prayer in 2020 will be? That God will help us to pay off our building debt in this year. May God show us His power as we walk with Him. So what does all this mean for us? It means we need to make prayer a daily, disciplined habit in our lives. Like Paul, we ought to pray without ceasing, remembering our brothers and sisters as we pray. It means we ought to pray for our church. Next time when you come to prayer meeting, these are things you ought to pray for. You can stand up, raise your hand and say, I have something to pray for now. That God would, by His Spirit, give us wisdom and revelation to know Him more, to know all that He has done for us in Christ, the hope of our calling, the inheritance we have in heaven, and the power of God in our lives. It also means we ought to pray for the church all across the world. If you didn't know, Paul was not attending this Ephesian church. He was in prison. He was praying for them while he was far away in another country. Like Paul, we ought to pray for believers we know all across the world. Missionaries who have gone out from our own church to Chile, to Hong Kong, to Argentina. That God would give them more of His Spirit to know Him and His work in their lives. And as you walk out today, here's, here's two things that you can do practically. One, over the next week, month, so, read through these verses in Ephesians and pray them for our church. You can do it for the church as a whole or pray for people individually who you feel the Lord has placed on your heart. And as you read through, pray each specific thing for them. That God would open their eyes by His Spirit, that they would know the hope of their calling, that they would trust in God's power in their lives. Second, you can come and pray with us. If you're able, come to our prayer meetings on Wednesdays nights at 6 or Monday mornings in the pastor's office at 9.30. I know some of you aren't able to make either one of these, and that's okay. I'm not trying to guilt anybody. But I know that if you come you will have opportunity to pray these things with each other and be greatly encouraged. Let's, let's practice that even now 
and pray to the Lord together.